built a wall 52 days. Then I got to thinking. Did you build any walls this week? I wrote down some that spoke to me. Some of these are from chapel. So young people listen carefully. There was a wall of submission built. There was a heavy emphasis in chapel. Learning how to be in submission to mom and dad, authority, those kind of things. Built a wall of honesty. Dealing honestly with our sin and with the things that we need to deal with. Here was another good one from chapel. What are walls for? Protection. Rules protect us. You with me? You there? We're looking for responses today, so I'm just telling you. Notice what the people did in, in Nehemiah's day. When the priest said something, what did they say? Amen. Amen! You can do it. Built a wall of humility. Remember that message about pride? Boy, that's a vitally important wall. Chapel again, honoring parents. Kind of touched on that. Loving God. That was Friday night, wasn't it? Big emphasis. What does it mean? Do we really understand? Or is it just a phrase that we say because it's the right thing to say? Built a wall of, on Thursday night, I was asking some of the teachers how they felt some of the parents responded. I don't think some of our Christian school parents um, maybe were that familiar with that kind of preaching. You know what I'm saying? Um, And um, I didn't hear anything negative. But remember what the message was on Thursday night? Build the wall of leadership in the home. Be the leader. Stand in the gap. Don't let Satan take charge. Don't be clueless. Don't be careless. All that. He built this wall too. God is jealous. Isn't that one of his names? God's jealous. What does that mean? How much he loves us. How much he's grieved when we sin and do things that disappoint him. And how much he desires us to come back. So that's my connection today between the time of refreshing, the walls are built around Jerusalem there in Nehemiah's day, and the walls that we built this week. And I don't know about you, but I saw another correlation. Um, You remember, they didn't build those walls and it wasn't easy. There was toil. There was opposition. There was internal strife. There was a feeling of, let's quit. Did you have any of those feelings last week? You might have. Those are part of the thing, part of the process. But notice chapter 8 gives us a very precise way that the children of Israel, now the children of Israel are not the church, but we can learn a lot from the children of Israel. And notice how they responded. And I believe I have four things here for us to see. I'll just give them to you 
as we go through. The first one I found is in verse 1. And all the people gather themselves together. What's the next phrase? As one man. First thing I see is partnership with unity. Partnership with unity. All these will start with P on the main points. Partnership with unity. Now, we usually don't think of it that way. We used to use the word fellowship. Nothing wrong with any of those words. But can you see there was a real partnership here? They didn't finish the wall and just say, oh, good, now we're going to go do what we want to do. They came together in oneness, in a partnership. And we're going to see a number of the things that they did. And I asked myself this question. I wrote this down. Why should revival bring unity? Or how does a time of refreshing bring unity? Under this point, I had three thoughts. First of all, you know what a week like that does? Instead of us getting focused on ourselves, it gets us focused on the great need out there for others. And it starts with us, doesn't it? He preached to each of us individually. And how would we respond? And when we have a better response to God, we'll have a better response to those round about. These people were gathered together and they were concerned and wanted to help each other. Secondly, times of refreshing reminds us of what's important. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. That's our mission statement. That's what we're here for. And I know of at least one man and a couple of others, one man that really got saved and another couple of people that were, what they said to me was, I think we got saved back then, but we've sure been backslidden. But we don't want that to stop. Revival is not about a period of a week or however many days it happens to be. Times of refreshing ought to go forward and we're, not, we're only going to have a chance to see what they did on the first day. If you read through the rest of Nehemiah, you'll see they had many days of things that they did that were important. Thirdly, times of refreshing confronts us with God's forgiveness toward us, his mercy, his grace, and the peace that he can give. And how we, as believers, when we see ourselves and we see our condition and we think about how gracious God has been to us, it ought to unite us by you and I extending those same graces, that mercy, that forgiveness to one another. Oh, it's easy to talk about, isn't it? We love grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We love to receive it. The question is, how are we doing it giving it? You with me? I'm talking about every one of us. I'm sure you're going to believe this, but pastors don't always feel gracious and merciful and forgiving. This is for all of us. I sat there. Now, I'm standing here today, but let me tell you something. I was there. 
had some people say, boy, he stepped on my toes. You know what that made me think? They came to church without steel-toed shoes. You know what I'm concerned about? People that come to church and say, I'm just here to do my time, let them know I'm here, but no thought about what does God want for me today? How is he speaking to me? I'm not saying it's pleasant to get your toes stepped on. But in a spiritual sense, it's a very good thing. It's a very good thing. They had partnership with unity. That's something that a time of refreshing ought to do. It ought to refresh your marriage relationship. It ought to refresh your relationship with your children. It ought to refresh our relationship with one another here. And quite frankly, can I be honest? It should refresh our relationships to the lost world, to the people we work with, to the people that we live by, to the people we see when we shop and do all those things. There should be a partnership with unity. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is to brethren to go dwell together in unity. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Secondly, passion with focus. Not just partnership with unity, but passion with focus. Look with me at verse 3. And he read therein before the street. By the way, that word street, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it literally means like a plaza area. We have a country club plaza here. It's not like that. But it would be like a big open area. Um, Sometimes we hear the word in America, a square. You know, a square would be kind of a central place in a city that people could meet and gather and a lot of green grass and all those kind of things. Listen to what happens. That was before the water gate. Guess what they did there? They brought water in. From the morning, that word morning literally means light. When light came up. I was up early this morning. I think it was pretty light by around 6.15 a.m. I don't know what time zone they were on or whatever, but until midday. Before the men and the women, those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now, can you imagine? Is the Bible always precise and accurate in what it says? Absolutely. If I read this, this is with at least four to six hours of reading God's word. I'm not advocating going to supper tonight with this sermon. Okay, that's not where I'm coming from. But do you see the passion with focus? In fact, maybe you've heard this before. I saw this. It's entitled, The Diary of a Bible. The Diary of a Bible. And it goes through 12 months of the year. 
January, busy time for me. Most of the family decided to read me through this year. They kept me busy for the first two weeks, but they've kind of forgotten me now. February, cleanup time. I was dusted yesterday and put in my place. My owner did use me for a few minutes last week. He uh, had been in an argument and was looking up some reference to prove he was right. March had a busy day the first of the month. My owner was elected president of the PTA, and he used me to prepare a speech. April, Grandpa visited us this month. He kept me on his lap for an hour reading 1 Corinthians 13. He seems to think more of me than to some people in my own household. May, I have a few green stains on my pages. Some spring flowers were pressed in my pages. June, I look like a scrapbook. They have stuffed me full of newspaper clippings. One of the girls was married. July, they put me in a suitcase today. I guess we were off on vacation. I wish I could stay home. I know I'll be closed up in this thing for at least two weeks. August, still in the suitcase. September, back home at last in my old familiar place. I have a lot of company. Two women's magazines and four comic books are stacked on top of me. I wish I could be read as much as they are. October, they read me a little bit today. One of them is very sick. Right now I'm sitting in the center of the coffee table. I think the pastor is coming by for a visit. November, back in my old place, somebody asked today if I were a scrapbook. December, the family is busy getting ready for the holidays. I guess I'll be covered up under wrapping paper and packages just as I am every Christmas. I don't get the idea that the children of Israel had any of that going on, do you? In fact, to me, one of the most significant things that came out of this reading, did you see who promoted, motivated, and encouraged reading the books of Moses? It wasn't Ezra. Who was it? The people. Look with me. And they spake, verse 1, unto Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Why did they want the book? They wanted to hear it. Now, I do remind us that this time of refreshing was really significant because the children of Israel had been in exile. Ezra had come to Jerusalem years before Nehemiah came. And God's word was very, well, it wasn't at all in their Babylonian captivity. So they were really excited. But do you get the idea that this wasn't leadership pushed? It was people pushed. Do you realize the significance of that? When you come to church, particularly like Sunday school, we have a little more interactive type Sunday school time. Do you come with a desire to learn and when you see something that doesn't make sense? By the way, the word understand and understood is used a lot in chapter 8. 
We tell the kids all the time, most significant thing you can do all day What's that mean? Ask questions. So we're here for. We're here to connect with each other and to look into God's word. Do you think the pastor has all the answers? No. At least this one doesn't. But you know what? If we're all diligently, passionately focused on the word of God, I'm always encouraged when and this seems to be happening more and more. I think of a verse and I can't get started. Or I can't think of how to finish it. Somebody out there does it for me. You know what that tells me? It tells me as a congregation we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're responding to times of refreshing by getting into the word and passionately focused on it. I guarantee us, Satan doesn't want you to be focused on this book. He wants everything else to take away your attention from the Word of God. That's why you better have in your pocket tracks. You better have in your pocket little cards that are the Bible verses. I don't know if you write them down on cards. I personally use the sheet that we have back there. But man, focus, focus, focus. How significant it is. But, I, but I, did you notice something else? about what they did. Look with me again at verse 3. I might mention this. You realize typically in the Israeli economy in those days, spiritual economy, that it was the men and the men only that went into the temple. And it was the men that would have been read to and it was the men's responsibility to leave the temple and talk to the wives and the children. But notice here, who, who did he read to? The men and the women and those that could understand. Children, teenagers, every one of them. But notice this, and the ears of how many? All the people were attentive. Do you have attentive ears? You know what we mean. My favorite Mrs. Stanhart story, I've shared it with you many a time. She'd come in and check us out as teachers. Scared me to death, that lady. She had to be five foot two, maybe a hundred pounds. Scared me to death. You know what she would always write on the little note to me? Bob, they have to listen with their whole body. Don't let them slouch. Don't let them turn sideways. Don't let them do this. Keep them focused. That's exactly what these people were. By the way, they were standing up. They were standing up. We're talking about a proper response to a time of refreshing. And we need to be passionately focused. Notice verse um, 6. Talks about the men that were with Ezra there in verses 4 and 5. 
And the people stood up, verse 5, but verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Notice they didn't just stop with what they said. With lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. My third point, not only did they have partnership with unity and they had passion with focus but they had praise with humbleness they had praise with humbleness and I wrote down three things under here that spoke to me they had a verbal expression amen amen by the way it doesn't appear that they were listening to preaching. They were just listening to Ezra read the Bible. When you see something in there, can I encourage you at home once in a while to say amen? What does that mean? So be it. So be it. That's right. I agree. By the way, whether we agree or not makes no difference. But it's good to agree, isn't it? With the word of God. They had verbal expression. Notice. They did something there. You know I was so convicted. I'll tell you what God brought to my mind. When I read this this week. Many years ago, I was down at North Texas State University, and I wasn't going to school there. I went to an advanced IBLP seminar. And we were in this big coliseum. There were thousands of people. And they were singing the great hymns of the faith. And I can't say I'd experienced this much before ever, because I kind of grew up in a church like us. I'm not saying that's bad. Don't misunderstand. But you know they were attentive because the word impacted them. And if the word impacts us, it's not wrong to say, yay, amen, praise the Lord. I'm not talking about holy rolling. I'm not talking about distracting services. I'm not talking about drawing attention to ourselves. I'm talking about being so wrapped up in what God says that it affects every part of our being. What does he say? We're spirit, soul, and body, aren't we? But I told you this was praise with humbleness. Did you notice at the end of verse 6, I think it is? And worship the Lord with their faces. No, it says actually before that. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You get the idea here that in the, th- in the things I wrote down, they had verbal expression, they had physical expression, and they had heart expression. That's attentiveness. That is what God wants from us. He's looking for us to respond to his word. If this ever becomes old, routine, and mundane, we're in trouble. 
we're in trouble. I remind you that you're not going to come here or any place else and hear some, any other church that preaches the Bible. You're not going to hear something new and different. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. The truth of the matter is we keep reminding ourselves, you've looked at Nehemiah 8 before. It's not new to you, probably. But you know what? They had a refreshing time of wall building, just like we did. Theirs was physical, ours was spiritual. And here's how they responded. Man, good example for us. Good example for us. Look at verse 7. Talks about all these Levites that were with him. But notice something interesting. At the end of verse 7. Um, let's see where I'm at. He caught, uh, the, these Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Understanding. That word distinct means to separate, to define, to to know what the words mean. I encourage you to get some Bible tools. Get a concordance. Get some other Bible tools that can help you when you read God's word to understand. That's what God wants. He's not looking for ignorance. He's looking for faithful people that are thinking about the truth and taking it and responding to it. There's a real emphasis here. And we talked about humility again. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. And I need to um, keep moving here. Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, you know what that means? He was kind of the government leader. Remember, he was the one that came and had the commission to come from Cyrus to rebuild the walls. He got all the supplies from him, did all of that kind of a thing. And here he is, and because of his leadership, he wasn't the priest. That was uh, Ezra. But he was kind of the, we might call it governor, mayor, whatever you want to call it. That was his position. Notice what it says. And Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why do you think they cried? Conviction. They heard truth, and that truth ministered to their heart, and their response was tears. Now, I told you, I've been dealing with tears since I had this stroke. And um, they're not tears because I hit my finger with a hammer, although I've done that in the past. But I think I have a new sensitivity to spiritual things. You know, life seems shorter than it did. I don't know the time. God's the author and finisher of our faith. But you know what? 
There was nothing wrong with their tears. Here's the problem. If your tears continue and you don't follow it with the joy of the Lord. Because tears ought to be an indication of conviction and confession. Conviction and confession. Telling God we're sorry for our sin. Acknowledging it is sin. Asking him to help us. Oh my goodness. They had tender hearts. They had tender hearts. And I think it's significant to note that tears are good. But God wants us to let those tears turn to joy. Why? Because he forgives us. Because he loves us. He's not looking for some financial gift. He's not looking for some act on our part. He's looking for agreement, confession, and getting a right relationship with him. How sweet that is. Can you get the idea here? These people have been in Babylonian captivity for a long time. They get back to the city where God wants them to be, but everything is in disarray. Everything has been torn down, destroyed. By the way, after the walls were built, you'll find out if you read God's word, there still weren't any houses and buildings in the place. It was a desperate place. It was a sad time. But the wall's done. The walls have been built. So they plead for Ezra, read the book. He does. (laughs) Everything he reads convicts their heart. You think he read some of the Ten Commandments? And they realized how far they had strayed away from truth. Wow. But I love that phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I wrote down these things. Truth that brings joy brings strength. What kind of strength are we talking about? We're not talking about Samson's strength. We're talking about strength to do what's right. Do what's right. Truth that brings joy sustains us through the valleys of life. Temptations, afflictions, persecutions, all those things. It's the joy of the Lord. Truth that brings joy is contagious to help others. I read a Spurgeon quote. Oh, good old Spurgeon. He he made this statement. It's a bad fireplace where all the heat goes up the chimney. Would you agree? Duh. What's he saying? Was he, did he care about fireplaces? No, he didn't. What he cared about is that every one of us would experience the joy of the Lord. It wouldn't just go up the chimney, but would radiate out in the room, every room we're in, every place we go. Joy. If Brian has to say, 
Your faces aren't matching the hymn we're singing. You know what he's saying? The joy of the Lord is missing. Is missing. Can I remind you, we are the only ones that really have the right to sing? Don't we? How do you sing? Man, when we go down that men's advance, 1,500 men in that big expo center, you wouldn't believe it. Man, it lifts you off your chair, lifts you off your feet, just listen to them sing. It's the way we ought to, we ought to come. Spurgeon also made this comment about this passage. Joy is an outcome based on hearing attentively, worshiping devotedly, mourning, M-O-U-R, mourning humbly, understanding clearly, and obeying earnestly. I think that captures in a nutshell what their response was to this time of refreshing. So what do we take away? I wrote down four things. The people, all the Israelites, they were hungry for the word. They were motivating and encouraging the spiritual leaders. Do you realize we need to be doing that? We need to be motivating each other. We need to be helping each other because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Ezra wasn't upset that they cried. He just didn't want them to stay in that condition. Hey, you repented? What now? Have you ever beat yourself up? You know what I'm talking about? You do something and you're really disappointed in yourself and you know what's right to do and you confess it to God. And then you walk away and you say this. I don't think God could forgive me for that. He's got to be so tired of me confessing the same sin. Do you realize Satan is talking to you? That's right. He is. He's talking to you. The Bible doesn't say if we confess our sin, go to church three out of the four Sundays in the, in the month. Give tithe and offering. By the way, all those things are good. Don't misunderstand where I'm going. He says if we confess our sin, he is the faithful one. To do what? Forgive and to cleanse. That's what Ezra was telling the people here. Hey, listen. I'm glad you're convicted. Now experience the forgiveness that God gives. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. You hungry for the word? You get a new resolve? I don't think anybody here would be in that Bible diary story that I read at the beginning. At least I hope not. But you know what? I guarantee there isn't one person here that can't read more, memorize more, and meditate more. And I'm talking to me too. You know what I'm saying? Are you hungry? You desire to hear the truth? Let me tell you something. You ought to wake up every morning and have some kind of a devotional time 
that you're excited about getting into the Word and getting something for yourself that will help you that day. Second takeaway I have is their passion for God and His Word was very public. Did you notice they weren't in the temple? It says they were at the water gate in the street or the plaza. You know what this time of refreshing ought to have done for us? It ought to have given us a more public, bold witness for the Lord. Do you see... Do you see wickedness becoming quieter and more subdued? Do you see the abortion crowd saying, oh my goodness, Missouri has closed down all the abortion clinics. I think we'll just move on to another state. No, they sue. They do all kinds of things. You can name any other kind of wickedness you want to name. They're not going away quiet. Now I'm not saying you and I have to go out and yell and scream and rant and rave. But we better be there with our voice. And our voice ought to be more than just, this isn't right. God says it. Thus saith the Lord. Let's quote scripture. My third takeaway is, they were united participants. I get the idea from the children on up. They were all impacted by the time of refreshing. And their response was united. You know what's better than one or two amens? 20 or 30 amens. You know what's better than 20 or 30? 100. Don't you want the joy of the Lord? He says it's your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you've had some weeping time, some confession time this week? Accept God's forgiveness? Get in the book? Get with other believers? Praise God? Worship Him? Express your heart for God in every kind of way you can? And you and I will experience the joy of the Lord. I read something else. Spurgeon was good, so was D.L. Moody. Here's what Moody said. I never knew a case where God used a discouraged man or woman to accomplish any great thing for him. Let a minister go into the pulpit in a discouraged state of mind, and it becomes contagious. It will soon reach the pews, and the whole church will be discouraged. So with Sunday school teachers... I never knew a worker of any kind who was full of discouragement and who met with great success in the Lord's work. It seems as if God cannot make large use of such men. When we are weakened by sadness, we do not speak attractively. Our statements lack certainty and energy. We are apt to quarrel over trifles, to be turned aside by discouragements. And in general, we do our work badly. Soldiers march best to music. And sailors work most happily when they can join in a cheery note, and I'm sure we do the same. Joyful Christians set the sinner's mouth a-watering for the dainties of true religion. 
When the prodigal returned, he was shod and clothed and adorned, but we do not read that the servants were to put meat into his mouth. Yet they were to feed him, and they did so by themselves feasting. Let us eat and be merry. This would be the surest way to induce the poor hungry son to make a meal. If saints were happier, sinners would be far more ready to believe. You experienced the joy of the Lord recently? By the way, it ought not to be a once in a blue moon. It ought to be daily. Daily. Let's go from this time of refreshing with a unity and a passion for God's word to get more, read more, meditate more, memorize more. Let's learn how to be the kind of fireplace that Spurgeon would say puts a lot of heat in the room. Let's put heat in the room, can we? Wherever we go. You can be that way today. You don't have to be grumpy and grouchy and discouraged and defeated. Do times like that come? They sure do. I don't think any of us here would say, I have never known a discouraged day in my life. I think we all would say, oh, we've experienced plenty of them. You know what Nehemiah would say to us? He would say, get hungry for the word. Confess your sin. Be contagious with encouragement. And let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?